It is with great sadness that our co-host Nick Camacho informed us that his friend and mentor, Sherman Smoot, died in an aircraft crash on Friday the 2nd of September 2022. Sherman was flying a highly modified Yakolev Yak-11, nicknamed Checkmate, which was being rebuilt in preparation for the upcoming Reno air races. Our hearts go out to Sherman's friends and family, and in his memory we'd like to replay the interview he kindly gave to Plain Tales at the Aviation Museum Duxford in 2019, when he flew to Europe in the C-47 Betty's Biscuit Bomber to participate in the 75th anniversary of the Normandy landings and the 70th anniversary of the Berlin Airlift. The Old Pilot's Plane Tales Dax on D-Day, Part 2 to conclude this tale of the participation of Betty's Biscuit Bomber, a World War II vintage Douglas C-47, in the 75th anniversary of D-Day on the 6th of June 1944, I cover the background of some of the pilots in the aircraft's history and how it got to take part. So I'm here with uh, Sherman Smith, who is uh, the chief pilot of uh, Betsy's Biscuit Bomber. Is that right? That's right. Okay, how did you get involved with this wonderful airplane? Well, uh, I was a member of the Australia Warbird Museum, and, and uh, one of our donors, um, Glenn Thompson, uh, bought the airplane, and uh, he needed somebody to go up and ferry it back from Canada. So uh, I said, I'll go. You know, so we uh, we went it, went up there, and uh, the mechanics went up first, got the airplane fine. Been sitting up there outside for eight years, and so they got the engines cleaned out and ran them, and then I went up there and went up with another guy who had much more time in a DC-3 than I did, and we brought it back. It's a remarkable airplane with a fantastic history. Could you tell me a little bit about it? Well, the, the records show that the best we can get is that. Uh, uh, she arrived in uh, uh, England probably about a month or so after actual D-Day invasion. So she missed D-Day about four to six weeks, but she participated in, in uh, a lot of the other drops. She carried a lot of the VIPs around, but she is a complete paratrooper configured airplane. Uh, we think she did the drop in the bulge in the market gardens, but um, uh, we do know that she spent, um, at the end of the war, um, uh, she was part of the Berlin Airlift. Then she went to the Belgian Air Force, and then she went to the French Air Force on Lend-Lease, and then the French sold it to the Israelis. Now, I don't know how you get a leased airplane and you sell it to the Israelis, but they sold it to the Israelis, and the Israelis had it for uh, oh, probably 20 years, and they flew it. Uh, was one, they, they put up some extra antennas on it and used it as a spy plane. Really? A spy plane? Yeah, they, they, they listened to all the recordings and all that stuff. Uh, and uh, and then they uh, they didn't retire. They put it in their fleet reserve program. So it spent another 10 or 15 years um, on on ready reserve. Uh, they did all the inspections. They ran the engines. They flew it once in a while, but it really didn't fly at all. So when we got the airplane, total airframe hours in this airplane is 9,600 hours. Wow, that's low. Really low. Most DC-3s are 40 to 50,000. So it, it could have an enormous life ahead of it. Oh yeah. 
She could. We we just uh, rebuilt the wings, had the wings gone through. We did the spar check, pulled, the, demated the wings, and went through that, and found a little bit of corrosion. Had to re re replace some of the flange angles, but she's ready to go. Now the uh, the flight out must have been interesting. Have you been uh, down the is it the the blue spruce route before? Never. So uh, tell me, how did it go? Well, you know, I mean, I've been across the Atlantic many times as an airline pilot. And, uh, but that, but, you know, there you have a flight attendant call button, a first class meal and a drink holder, you know, uh, going across the old routes, uh, it was tough. I mean, a lot of planning, uh, you're always iffy on the fuel when you get there. And if you get there and you can't land, then you really don't have much options. You have to, uh, there's a few other ships up there, but none of them have fuel. So. You know, so it would took a lot of planning, and we watched the weather really, really closely because anytime you go through Greenland, you know, the weather is always changes in a minute there. Now, um, did you drop into places like Sunderstrom Field? Yeah, we did. We landed in Sunderstrom. Uh, originally, we were supposed to go to Narsarsarak, but we didn't because the winds were just too unpredictable. They were blowing 40, 40 knots, and... Uh, uh, pretty much down the runway, but you know the winds can change at any moment. And when you get there, this airplane will not land at a 43 knot crosswind. So, but it must have been quite impressive. I mean, I've only heard about the place and had it on our maps as an emergency diversion. But it must have been a beautiful airfield air to land at. Well, Sutterstrom. Yeah. Oh yeah, that whole thing is beautiful. We uh, we actually had one of the helicopter pilots took us um, took us under his wing when we landed there with a SAR helicopter pilots and he. We drove us all up to the to the ice cap, and we were uh, we were standing on the Greenland ice cap, and it was it was spectacular, spectacular. We went up there and we drank a little vodka, you know, and and uh, it was amazing. And then taking off, we flew over the ice cap to Iceland, and it's all white, and except this guy said, "You guys, you're right on the route. Take a look. All of a sudden, you'll see a what looks like a um, oil rig out there." But it's not. It was the early warning radar system for the U.S. government, you know. And there's two of them. There's one at 100 miles, one at 200 miles. And uh, we're flying along. All of a sudden, I saw a black speck out there. And I said, well, what is that? We went over, took a look, flew you know. There it was. I just right out of the middle of the ice, there's this structure. And it was an early warning system. People actually lived out there. And he told us he's landed a helicopter out there. And he, he said, this, you can walk into the place. It's, they left so fast. It looks like they left... The dinner, the place settings were set on the table. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Wow, what a sight that yeah. must have been. Iceland, uh, an interesting place? Yeah, we were going to spend an extra couple days there uh, just to sort of relax a little bit since we, you know, we're on our last leg to get across the Atlantic. And um, the weather was coming up and we couldn't find a place to stay. Uh, our rooms, we only had our rooms there for one night. The next night, there was no, there was no place to stay. So we just loaded up the airplane and came down to Prestwick, but uh, Iceland was beautiful too. Absolutely. Now that leg from Iceland to Prestwick is quite a long leg, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, probably about 700, 750 nautical miles, something like that. And, and uh, yeah, it was it, actually it was our longest leg. And um, uh, But we had tailwinds, so it worked out good. And, and Betsy behaved herself? Oh yeah, well she's been a, she's been a solid thoroughbred. I mean, you know, our only real issues uh, were really right here in Duxford, uh, you know, our biggest issue. And uh, we, we, have, we had a starter clutch was starting to slip a little bit, so everybody liked to just change the starter. Well, when they went to put the starter back in, 
actually they got it in, uh, they reached up and grabbed it on the generator, the generator like almost falling off the airplane. And so we thought, oh shit. So they pulled the generator off and it sheared all the gears inside and, and uh, that's the only thing we didn't bring was a spare generator. So, uh, you know, we made a send out emergency text to all the guys and the guy walked over with the generator and said, here, use this and, you know, when you get yours, send it to me. So put the generator on, she's running good now. And then the other engine, we were just doing an inspection just to like to make sure it got to tighten her up once in a while. So they're going through the engine and uh, they found uh, the top rear cylinder, uh, the intake, short intake stack that, that's attached to the cylinder was all wobbly and just flopping around in there and somebody had riveted it in. And uh, so we, we had a spare cylinder, so we elected just to change the cylinder, and now she's running fine. Brilliant. Now, I ought to make the point that you're an ex-U.S. Navy uh, Phantom pilot. Is that right? Yes, sir. So uh, it must have been marvelous flying off a carrier in the Phantom. I, I envy you. Well, yeah. I mean, it was, um, it was very rewarding. I, the Navy flight programs, I think, is the best in the world. I mean, it teaches you how to concentrate for sure. Uh, but you flew Phantoms. I mean, it's just a lovely airplane, you know. Oh, it, oh, it is. But the idea of doing a, a night deck landing uh, would have filled me with great trepidation. Well, the Phantom is a very stable platform. I mean, you know, what, uh, it, we use it a lot in Vietnam as a bomber, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for some of the computer things that the A7 or the A6 had, you know, we were, and every once in a while we'd practice behind the ship, just iron bombsite practice. Phantoms would win all the time. It pissed them off, <laughs> but we would win because it's a good, stable platform. Come aboard the ship, it's rock solid. I mean, it wasn't like the F-8 or, or any of those other, the A-7, because they had a little bit of spool-up problem, you know, but the Phantom was rock solid on the on, on approach. So you, you could have done it. It wouldn't have been a problem. I would have loved to have had it go. What did you fly in the Civi world? Uh, well, after I got out of the uh, uh, military, I got a job with the airlines, Tell everybody I went to the dark side. Instead of making a military career, I decided to go for the airlines. And, and uh, in Continental, I flew for Continental for 28 years. And uh, I flew all the Boeings except the uh, the 7-4. I didn't fly the 7-4, didn't fly the 7-3. But I flew the 7-2, um, 7-5, 7-6, and 777. And uh, I, I flew the DC-10. I loved the DC-10. I think that was one of my favorite wide bodies. It was my favorite wide body until the... Triple Seven came along, and I thought, okay, this this is a pilot's airplane. They did a nice job with the Triple Seven. Um, then I flew the MD eighty, and and uh, I have other type ratings too. But you know, those, but that was those were the airline airplanes that I flew. Brilliant. And uh, nowadays uh, you're well retired and just flying this beautiful uh, C forty seven around. Do you have anything else that you uh, you like to take airborne? Yeah. Well. Yeah, I uh, I flew. Um, we got to fly Spitfire here yesterday, and uh, that was amazing for me. And um, but I'm fortunate enough to to I fly Warbirds sometimes. You know, I get uh, my first Warbird I ever flew was a P47 Thunderbolt, and uh, that was amazing to me. And then from there, started racing the unlimited race class at Reno, and so I've flown Mustangs before and P40s and those kind of airplanes. But uh, uh, it's just I've been Blessed, I guess. I don't know. Lucky. That's pretty much what it is, is luck. You know, an aviation, the skill and luck, but, you know, there's, there's a very fine line, you know. So, I mean, aviation is uh, probably half luck, as it is skill. That's the way I think of it. 
Well, that's, that's a brilliant uh, thought. Anyway, I'd like to thank you very much indeed for chatting to us today, Sherman, and uh, I wish you very well with the flights you have uh, over the next few days over to Normandy. Thank you. We're looking forward to it, really. Having talked to Sherman Smoot for a while, I then found Nick Camacho, the friend of the APG show, who had invited me up to Duxford to look around Betsy, and I asked him how he got involved with the aircraft to eventually become one of its pilots. Uh, but basically, I, uh, my dad was a uh, radial engine mechanic in the Air Force back in the 60s. Um, when he kind of transitioned into civilian life, he stayed in the maintenance uh, aviation maintenance industry and actually got involved in the 80s uh, with a C-47 flown out of a museum in Topeka. And uh, so I actually grew up with my dad uh, flying a a different C-47. This was actually, this airplane was called Kiroi. It was out of the Combat Air Museum in Topeka. And uh, so from the time I was born up until 1995 when they stopped flying the airplane, uh, I just spent tons of time in the summer with my dad in the airplane. My first airplane ride I ever took, I was 10 months old on my mom's lap in that airplane. So I've been a C-47 guy since the very beginning. Uh, And then, unfortunately, the uh, museum made some decisions and uh, decided to uh, stop flying the airplane in 1995. Uh, So I kind of went off and did some uh, other things. Still kind of stayed involved in aviation. Uh, My dad dad had all his ratings and... um, did a lot of flying before I was even around, and, and so we stayed in aviation, but kind of got out of the Warbird thing a little bit. Um, still always loved Warbirds and round engines, and then I went to school in California, in San Luis Obispo, and uh, my third or fourth year in school out there, um, uh, we just, there was a museum about half an hour from my school, and so we were just stopping by there, and my, dad, uh, my dad's from that area of California, so he'd come out to visit me regularly, uh, we, stopped, we stopped at this museum, and they had just finished um, repainting what is now uh, Betsy's Biscuit Bomber. This was, uh, they acquired the airplane in about 2007, I think, um, and spent a couple years cleaning it up and repainting it. And then in 2009, uh, we showed up maybe just a couple of months after the first flight, kind of, you know, they got it recertified in the States and everything in the first flight. And so kind of with my background and my interest, I went up there and kind of started helping them. And it's a fairly small group, and they were uh, incredibly gracious and kind of sucked me in right away. And uh, so that's how I got involved. And, you know, once I got, kind of got involved, our chief pilot, Sherman Smoot, I got to know him pretty well. And uh, it actually turned out that he gave my dad, uh, he's also a local guy out there to uh, the central coast of California, and he gave my dad aerobatic instruction at Satabria in like 1968. So they had known each other from way back and then, you know, moved forward. And now uh, my dad and I both started flying the airplane. My dad's a PIC-rated pilot in the, uh, captain-rated pilot in the airplane. Um, and so we both started flying the airplane with Sherman, and we've added a couple of uh, pilots to the group. So that's kind of the quick version of how I got into it. Uh, so when I got involved in the airplane, uh, my dad had some friends... Uh, out in the same area and was actually friends with the chief pilot. And so when I got involved with the airplane a decade ago, he kind of, we kind of got into it together. And then uh, my brother's also uh, kind of a history buff and also a pilot and everything. So when we had the chance to come over here, uh, he's going to be over here with us for three or four days. And then my dad's here for the duration. He's actually here for longer than I am. <laughs> now, I didn't realize you're an entire family of pilots, yeah? At least all, all the male side. Yeah. Yeah, so my mom... Uh, provides all the support, and then, yep, my dad, uh, my dad's a pilot, and then my brother and I are both uh, rated, uh, are both certificated pilots also. 
and also your engineers. Uh, yeah, so I'm, my dad is a, uh, I assume you mean mechanic in the States. Uh, my dad is a, an AMPIA uh, rated mechanic or engineer. And then I'm pretty close, I'd say in the next uh, three or four months, planning to take all my tests. I've done all the experience stuff and everything to do, um, to get my airframe and power plant uh, certificate for mechanicing in the United States. And then my brother is a little less so. He's, he's a, a little more basic uh, wrenching type of stuff, but he does also mess around with the airplanes a little bit. But me and my dad spend a lot of time working on it. Enormous thanks to Sherman, Nick, his family, and the entire crew of Betty's Biscuit Bomber for sharing their stories with me. If you enjoyed this show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Plain Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find us at airlinepilotguy.com. And if you're interested in finding out more about this fantastic aircraft, Take a look at their Facebook page, Goonybird Group, Betsy's Biscuit Bomber.